Welcome to SLP Money, an in-depth conversation for speech language pathologists and private practice owners on how to break through to the next level of your career and business. Join your host, Craig Goldslager, a financial advisor and certified exit planner, as he shares strategies and stories that will help you become more financially confident and better invest your time and money. You can learn more and stay up to date at utterlyfinancial.com. Hello, SLP Nation, and welcome to another episode of SLP Money. Thank you for joining me today for a solo episode. We've had some great guests on the podcast recently, but I wanted to follow the conversation that we had last time with the independent clinician herself, Jenna Castro-Casbon, episode 11, where we talked about what it takes to start your private practice. And Jenna gave some wonderful insights into what it takes to start your own private practice. If it's something you have not done yet or something you wanted to consider, what I wanted to do is continue the conversation because there's so many important financial considerations to think about either as a first time business owner or a seasoned professional. A lot of the decisions that you have to make, they're not set it and forget it. They're not one-time occurrences. And so it's always important to ask important questions of yourself to ensure that you can spot proper planning opportunities, minimize issues or complications that might come up in the business, or even just make sure you're on the right path for the type of practice you want to run. So in today's episode, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into, you can consider it a frequently asked questions or the answers to an FAQ. So one of the pillars of Utterly Financial is to help provide financial education to SLPs and private practice owners. So whether you're just starting out as a 1099 contractor and you're unsure if you want to go full speed ahead into owning a private practice, or you have multiple locations, a multidisciplinary clinic, these are common issues that may not be relevant to you today, but they will be at some point in your career as a business owner. These are broken down into five different categories. And before we jump in, I will say that having now spoken to thousands of speech language pathologists across America, the most common thing I know about all of you is how much you love your checklists and your flowchart. So what we have done for this episode is if you head on over to our learning center, utterlyfinancial.com forward slash 12, episode 12 of SLP Money, you can go ahead and download this checklist and follow along as I ask these questions and then give you things to consider. There's five categories of issues that we're going to discuss today. We broke cash flow into two categories. You have your personal cash flow as a business owner. Then you also have the business cash flow, what sustains the business. We will talk a little bit about legal and business formation issues in addition to tax issues. And then the fifth category we kind of lumped together as an others issue where we will address certain insurance needs, exit planning needs, estate planning, sort of a hodgepodge of different topics in that other's category. Friendly reminder, I am not an accountant. I am not an estate planning attorney or any attorney for that matter. So anything we talk about regarding legal formation, tax planning issues, you should seek proper counsel. We've talked on many episodes about the importance of building your professional team around you, which should include a CPA, different attorneys for different things that you're looking for from a legal perspective. Make sure you get consultations and that any information we discuss is just for general educational purposes. You should not take any advice to represent something for your specific situation. I think an important spot to start is talking about the personal cash flow issues you face as a business owner. And oftentimes people are so gung-ho and they want to get really started working in their businesses. But at the end of the day, 
most people want to start a business to turn a profit and make money and support either themselves or their family. So one thing you need to consider is how are you currently paying yourself or how do you expect to pay yourself as the business owner? Will you be earning a salary, taking a draw from the business, taking an ownership distribution, depending on the legal formation of your private practice? At some point, you do need to earn an income. Perhaps you start the business by being reliant on your spouse or additional savings that you have to help launch the business. Knowing how you're gonna take a salary is really important because you have to pay your other expenses and your other obligations as a business owner. When we talk about the formation of the business, are you going to use personal assets or are you going to use other resources to finance the business? As in, on the personal side, sometimes business owners will secure their own lines of debt, whether it's a personal loan. Sometimes you have to put up collateral if you want to go to a lending institution and receive a personal loan or some kind of note. If you're looking to purchase an expensive piece of equipment or maybe buy some additional real estate if you want to open a new clinic. Or where is that money going to come from? Is it going to come from personal assets? And if it is, make sure that you're using that money and limiting yourself to using money that you feel comfortable in case the business goes under. We always want to talk about best case, worst case scenario. Well, you need to make a prudent decision that if I have $100,000 in the bank, what amount of that money am I comfortable losing? Not so much gaining because everyone expects to gain money and everyone wants to have a successful business. But if the business is not successful, what happens to that $100,000? If you had $0 left in your personal account, how would that make you feel? And similarly, you might be taking money from, let's say, a retirement account or some other investment account that you have. Will the investment into your own business change your risk tolerance for these accounts? And when we talk about risk tolerance, we're talking about the ability to withstand risk because certain types of assets are more volatile that have more ups and downs compared to other types of assets. So for instance, if you put all the money that you possess under your mattress, well, that money's not at risk. That money's not going anywhere. That money's going to sit there, but it's also not going to earn any interest. It's not going to help your money start working for you. The opposite side of cash earning 0% is investing in more riskier investments, as in stock market, companies that can experience much larger returns than zero, but you have to ride the wave. Sometimes you'll experience a negative 30 or 40%. Sometimes you'll see a positive 30 or 40%. So the reason we bring up risk tolerance to business owners on your personal situation is you might be comfortable accepting some form of risk in, let's say, an IRA or a 401k or some type of retirement account. You also need to consider that your new business or your existing business is going to have volatility. You will have ups, you will have downs. Do you want to change your risk tolerance and maybe make your other investments more conservative? Or you might consider to make them more aggressive. It all depends on how you feel about your business and what the expectations are in your business plan. So along the lines of risk tolerance, always important to have access to liquidity. A common phrase you might hear is something called an emergency fund. So an emergency fund means whether it's three months, six months, we at Utterly Financial believe everyone should have access to one year of liquidity on their balance sheet. Liquidity means having access to capital when you need it without having to pay penalties, fees, or other charges for accessing the money. So for instance, I might have a brokerage account that's invested in some mutual funds or stocks or bonds. If I want to access that money in a brokerage account and it's a non-qualified investment account, there's no penalties for accessing that money. I may have to pay tax, but I'm not going to be shortchanged by penalties and stipulations for accessing the money. If I want to take money out of a 401k or an IRA or a qualified account, if I'm under the age of 59 and a half, I will pay penalty on that. 
So we always want to make sure we're being efficient with our money decisions and not paying unnecessary fees or charges to access money. When you start this business or if you are continuing to grow your business, having liquidity will make you sleep better at night, make you feel better. Make sure that you're not using all of your capital to drain your emergency fund to get this business going either off the ground or continuing to grow. Also, important consideration, are you the sole breadwinner for your family? If so, either starting the business or growing the business may not be the most opportune time. Some of the most successful private practice owners that I know are those who have either a spouse or other financial resources that can allow them to take this risk of starting a private practice because there are no guarantees that the business will be successful. You can follow roadmaps and you can follow plans and you can work really diligently and hard to increase the chances of success, but you can't just start a business and expect to turn a profit the next month, the next year. It does take a lot of hard work. By allowing yourself something called a runway, whether it's one years, three years, five years, it's important to build that roadmap and have that plan of what your expectations are. Are you looking to build a caseload of a certain size in the first year? Are you looking to have certain types of revenue or a certain amount of contracts with school districts or hospitals? Set specific goals for yourself to make sure that you're on the right track. And if there is a second income in the household, it makes things a lot easier. So knowing whether or not you're the sole source of income is really important. Just as personal cash flow is really important, the next issue to consider is business cash flow. We talked a little bit about in the last section how and what type of money is necessary to launch or run your business. You do have to consider it is possible to start a business for a very marginal investment into the practice with the ability to do teletherapy or travel to clients' homes and see caseloads in many different settings, you may not need a traditional brick and mortar setup. You might not need a clinic to begin. You might need your internet connection and a computer, which most people have already. It is possible to start the business with nominal costs. You can even try and grow with existing resources and things that you have at your disposal right now. But the key to this question is, what money do you need for either launching the business or growing the business? And you don't want to just throw money at something if you don't expect to return dollars on the investment. Something called a return on investment or an ROI is a metric that can be calculated for the expectations of what should be done with this investment. So if I wanted to invest $10,000 into my private practice to buy new equipment or buy new computers to improve teletherapy abilities, well, I should expect to receive revenues of at least $10,001, right? Most people want to see a 2x or 2 times or 3x or 3 times on their investments when they put the money in because that's just another consideration. Am I expecting to reinvest into my business or am I looking to use other resources to grow my business or my investment portfolio? So as the business owner now, you have a lot of choices on what to do with capital once you start turning a profit. You might be able to invest into a retirement plan. As a business owner now, you have several more options available to invest for retirement. So you might open a Roth IRA, an IRA, a SEP, S-E-P IRA, solo 401k, a defined benefit plan. The list goes on and on. But the important part of this topic is knowing what to do with your free cash flow from your business. So free cash flow is money that it doesn't have a designated purpose. So if you gross $100,000 annually and you have $90,000 of expenses, including the salary or draw that you pay yourself and your employees, you're left with $10,000. Well, there's your profit. And you as the business owner dictate what you want to do with that money. Do you want to contribute that to a retirement plan? 
Do you want to buy that new equipment and reinvest in the business? So a lot of things, depending on what your goals are, sometimes people are okay continuing as a sole practitioner and keeping their practice of a certain size. Other clinicians that I meet want to grow their business into multiple setting, multiple disciplinary, have dozens of SLPs, maybe OTs, PTs working with them. Just depends on what kind of business you want. So knowing what's going on in your business and maintaining that free cash flow, it's important not to just invest all of that money. Um, sometimes as business owners, income can fluctuate based on sales and maybe you had a school contract fall through or traditional client referral source, the dentist or doctor in your area is no longer sending you clients. Whatever the case may be, that's why we talked earlier about having liquidity and having access to capital. Now, as business owners, the seasoned business owners, I'm sure have business checking accounts, but it's important for beginners or sole proprietors to know you should have a separate banking relationship for your business in addition to your personal checking account and your personal savings account. One of the key reasons for that is you should always have access to a line of credit as a business owner in case you fall on hard times. So earlier in 2020, we never could have envisioned the pandemic and a lot of business owners had to draw down on these lines of credit to keep their businesses open. If they didn't have lines of credit, then you have to start making some of those inefficient financial decisions I mentioned earlier, like accessing retirement money earlier than expected and perhaps having to pay penalties or other types of financial products or vehicles. So having access to capital as a business owner is so important. With that banking relationship that you have, you can again get a line of credit doesn't mean you have to draw on it, but it's just there in case of emergency, just like the fire extinguisher that sits in your clinic. If fire break glass, right? You don't ever expect it to happen, don't ever want it to happen, but you have the fire extinguisher there in case of the fire. In case you don't have present capital, at least you have access to it to continue payroll and continue funding your business. In addition to cash flow, another common thing that business owners talk to me about or want guidance on is the legal and business formation of their private practice. When you're determining the legal structure of your business, again, not an accountant or an attorney, but it's important to know the four types of business entities you can choose when starting or growing your business. You might start as the first type, which is a sole proprietorship, which is the technical name for that is a disregarded entity. And it's really the simplest structure if you're a sole business owner, a lot of times people will start a business on the side or maybe you're seeing one or two cases on your own. So if you're doing that, you might open a sole proprietorship. Your business assets and your liabilities are not separate from your personal. They're really commingled, but you do get additional benefits of establishing the business entity for the ability to structure your taxes a little differently. But what happens over time is your business may become more complex and you may choose to change the formation of your business to one of the three other types of entities. You could choose to do a partnership, a C corporation, or an S corporation. Regardless of whether you are a partnership, a C corp, or an S corp, one important thing to consider is always becoming an LLC. An LLC stands for a limited liability company. And what that is, is the LLC is a separate legal entity that shares characteristics with a limited liability company, but it's unincorporated. And the LLC can choose to be taxed in any of those three ways that I was just talking about. While it's important to understand the differences of choosing the C-Corp or the S-Corp or a partnership, there are so many underlying factors, the main one being how your income will be taxed based on the entity that you choose. So that's the main difference between the C-Corp, the S-Corp, and the partnership. 
depending on the size of your company, that's an important factor to know which entity to choose. Depending on the top line revenue or even bottom line revenue, depending on how you want to recognize income are all key indicators on how you should choose your legal formation. And that again should be decided with an accountant and and an attorney, but you can also ask for additional guidance from other resources, just knowing what is best for your specific situation. As you look to grow your business, you have to decide, will you hire employees? And if you are going to hire employees, you need to make sure that you have SOA, standard operating agreements, and making sure that there are accurate job descriptions for what people will be doing in their roles. If you are looking to expand your practice outside of your capacity and bandwidth, every SLP can only see so many clients in a given week. So if you want to add an additional revenue component and maybe you have a caseload that you can't service. So what a great time to try and bring on an SLP to help you service this increasing caseload that you have. So make sure that you have that set. You want to make it crystal clear to these SLPs what your expectations are how you want them to serve clients, communicate with clients, with insurance companies, with billing. They are now a representative of your company. So you want them to give a professional presence and make sure that they do things the way that you've done, even if you're just a sole proprietor to start, but to continue building upon that, you want everyone, and maybe you have multiple SLPs, you want every client to have the same customer experience, whether they're talking to Jane or Jill or Joan, it doesn't matter they're all going to experience and have the same great level of client service regardless of which SLP they see. Even if you're acting as a sole proprietor and running your own private practice as a solo shop for now, I would stress the importance of at some point developing a business succession plan. And you may not have one in place if you are a sole proprietor and there's just you, right? If it's just you in the business, there's not you don't have any business partners, but this could be a thought-provoking exercise to explain the importance of having someone else that can work with you in the business. Because what's really important is at some point, we know that every business owner must leave her business, either voluntarily or involuntarily. We talked about that at length back in the very first episode of SLP Money called Leaving Your Private Practices Inevitable. I gave that presentation at the 2019 ASHA convention and that was one of the pillars, again, of why Utterly Financial was created. It was created to show private practitioners that we all must leave our businesses and it's best to do it on our own terms for the amount of money that we want and when we want to do it. If you don't have someone else to maybe directly sell the business to, this is a wonderful way to introduce that concept to the practice while also growing it, right? We mentioned that most practitioners do reach a capacity of caseload. And if you want to start onboarding more caseload than what your bandwidth can have in a given time period, well, you need to bring someone else into the picture. And there's ways to compensate this other SLP or perhaps a business partner. That's the route you choose. Or maybe you just want an operations manager or a billing director to help offload some of your stuff. So maybe you can increase your caseload. Whatever it is, outlining the rules of a succession plan is so important because left undone, there is no reasonable way to assume that your family or your children will receive a fair value for the business that you've been building. If we assume that your practice has a valuation of some amount, let's say $500,000, how will your family recognize that money if there isn't a partner to buy you out or buy your shares out of the business or some other person to buy the shares of the business? Because otherwise your spouse or your child or someone else will have to come in and try and run the business that you were running as a one woman show, which 
speaking from experience, there is no way I would go in and step in for my wife and run her practice or see her caseload. That would just be a disaster for everyone. So knowing that there are ways to plan with contingency planning and knowing that there are ways to sell your practice in the event that you're not able to work in your business, either again, voluntarily because you choose retirement or involuntarily for whatever health issues might come up or cognitive decline. A final thing to consider with legal formation issues is, does your practice have any proprietary information? In the legal world, the trademarks, copyrights, patents all fall under the umbrella of something called IP, intellectual property. That does have tangible value to it because maybe you've created a proprietary system or feature or treatment technique that you want to receive compensation for or royalties on. Maybe you're not selling a direct product, but if you've spent the hours to create this feature, you should protect it and prevent maybe some of the larger agencies or other clinicians from using it unlicensed. Because if it isn't protected by a trademark or a copyright or a patent, it's fair game. Anyone can use it. So you always want to protect that intellectual property, which is something that as your career evolves and as you become, you might streamline a process for being a business owner. And if you want to create that system and maybe you license that, maybe it's a piece of software and you license that software out to other clinicians, well, you can get compensated for that. Otherwise, they might just love your idea and they might find their own developing team and they might create their own software that replicates yours. But if it's not protected, again, it's fair game for everyone. Regarding tax planning issues, again, not as a CPA, but I do think you need to consider just how your personal tax situation will change once you become a business owner. Even again, if you start as a 1099 contractor, that does change how you will have to pay for personal taxes like self-employment tax, social security tax, maybe you have to pay corporate tax depending on the state that you're in. So your personal tax situation will change and that directly reflects what type of corporation you choose to be. Again, the S Corp, the C Corp. There are benefits to being a business owner. You do have the ability to deduct certain costs, uh, health insurance costs, other business expenses, depending on your circumstances. Another thing, especially if you're a sole proprietor, you may not be used to it if you're coming from the W-2 world and working for someone else, you will have to start making quarterly estimated tax payments to avoid underpayment penalties, which can include tax interest from the IRS if you fail to make adequate quarterly estimated payments on your taxes. Just a general question, do you need assistance when preparing this tax return now? If you're used to filing your own personal tax return, once you become a business owner, it becomes much more complicated when you have different schedules to the tax return, different itemizations, different deductions that you can take. So again, building your professional team and having a CPA that you trust and that can help find you some of these deductions to lower your taxable income. Another really important thing, always staying on top of tax law changes. In 2017, the TCJA, the Tax Cuts Jobs Act, was passed, and it added a new feature to businesses, something called the QBI, the Qualified Business Income Deduction. What we've done and what we'll add, again, if you head over to utterlyfinancial.com forward slash 12, we have not a checklist, but a flowchart that you can follow to determine as a business owner, if you qualify for the QBI, maybe you've been doing your taxes on your own and not working with an accountant and you didn't know that the QBI was something that you could take advantage of. What the bottom line on that is, is if your income is under a certain threshold, you can deduct up to 20% as a qualified business income deduction. So if you do that, it's just a great way to lower your taxable income for being a business owner. One of the perks of being a business owner is always staying on top of tax law changes 
If you're not doing that, that's what the CPAs do. That's what other advisors should be doing. That's one of the advantages of having an advisory team in place to keep you abreast of these fluid changes that can happen with tax law. So the last topic we'll talk about and other issues to consider is just that other topics that most SLPs should have. Again, if you're a day one business owner or you've been a business owner for 30 years, depending on your scope of business, these are always things you should review. So for instance, certain types of business insurance, you should always have certain types of business insurance, such as business interruption insurance, professional liability, data protection and privacy insurance. I can't tell you how many stories there's a private practice owner I know that I met at ASHA last year that shared this story with me that her attorney had his data system compromised by a hacker and they would only release that information if he paid a $20,000 ransom to free up his data files. Well, one of the things that can prevent either having to pay a direct ransom request like that is having something like cyber liability insurance. It protects your data files. It protects your systems that are in place. All of you are working with something called PII, personal identifiable information. So that is really specific and really, really important information to your clients, like their social security numbers, their addresses, their phone numbers. So you do have a lot of valuable information for people that have nefarious mindsets and want to come after that type of information. So the fact that this practitioner told me about her attorney, I've heard of similar stories of that happening and you can't prevent getting hacked, but what you can prevent are the consequences of being hacked. So even if you have updated software, people are able to trip systems all the time. And they're always trying to stay ahead of whatever antiviral software exists or preventative measures that business owners can take. So that's one of the reasons you get insurance. So whether it's cyber liability or other topics of insurance, we don't know when bad things will happen to us as business owners. So some of them are unpreventable. We, we just, we can't control them. But what we can control are the consequences to those decisions and to those actions. That's the key role of insurance. Another factor, as a business owner, you might have received your health insurance from your previous location or occupation or setting. If that's the case, you're going to have to get it on your own. Maybe you have a spouse that gets benefits through work, which will certainly make the decision easier for health insurance. You can go on that plan. But being cognizant of what the costs are in the open marketplace Working with a reputable insurance broker who can dictate and help you find the appropriate plan for you, depending on your perhaps underlying health issues, um, how often you go see doctors or need medications. Things to think about as you determine appropriate premiums or out-of-pocket costs to pay for the health insurance, uh, knowing what the deductibles are, what the total costs are going to be. Similarly, do you need to reevaluate any life insurance needs? We talked about having succession plans. Do you have a business partner? And if so, do you have a proper buy-sell agreement in place? And is it funded in the event that any of those triggering events can occur to put the buy-sell agreement to work? As in, maybe your partner wants to leave the business. Do you have the capacity to buy them out under any circumstance? Life insurance comes into play in the event of your business partner passing away or you passing away, because that way we mentioned earlier, remember, I would not be able to run my wife's practice if for some reason she was no longer able to run it. Well, chances are your partner's spouse would not be able to do that either. And they will still be, if it's a 50-50 partnership, that spouse is 50% owner unless you can buy them out of the business. So life insurance is one way to do that. 
Disability insurance is another th- important thing to fund buy sell agreement with because your business owner may not pass away, but they might become incapacitated or have cognitive decline where they can no longer work in the business. And so if that's the case, you just need to have access to these things and have resources available and the necessary liquidity and functioning to make sure that these potential issues, when they become realities, don't cause financial catastrophes to either your business or your personal cash flow. Lastly, what we'll end on with other issues is just, again, I mentioned earlier about having an exit strategy. Everyone's always excited when they start a business, when they grow a business, but oftentimes it's forgotten about, or maybe not even forgotten about. You just might be unaware that you can actually sell your business to earn income for retirement. So having an exit strategy in place is really important. Do you have one in place? And have you considered putting one into place? Or maybe you need to revise it or change the strategies that are involved. Because the one universal truth that we all know for every business owner, myself included, is we will all leave our business someday, as I mentioned earlier, either involuntarily or voluntarily. If you want to listen to some more about planning an exit plan, again, that was back on episode one, leaving your private practice is inevitable. So we end every episode here on SLP Money talking about taking action. We want to make sure that as private practitioners, we are growing our businesses or getting them to the level at which we aspire to be at. And so I'm going to leave you with three items to help you get there and things to consider that you can review today to make sure that some of these issues that I talked about don't become issues for you. Number one, make sure you have access to liquidity in the event that you need it. So as business owners, we talked about the importance of having business banking relationships. Make sure you have access to a line of credit through a bank and an institution. And most of these lenders will not charge you for having that line of credit. So make sure you have one and don't become reliant on personal loans or personal credit cards in case you run into some trouble and need access to money. Action item number two. Review your 2018, or if you filed already your 2019 tax return, and see if you qualified for the QBI, the Qualified Business Income Deduction. And if you did not, I would ask your accountant why you did not, and how can I do that for either 2019, if you haven't filed yet, or 2020 moving forward. It's a tremendous opportunity for business owners to have up to a 20% deduction on income. So again, we always want to minimize taxes. We never want to overpay the government or leave the government a tip. We believe it's important to pay taxes and we think that you should pay the appropriate tax level. So make sure that you're not overpaying on your taxes. One of the ways to avoid doing that is to make sure you're earning all the deductions that you're afforded as a business owner. And so the QBI is a new one that if you're a seasoned private practice owner, this might have snuck up on you in the last few years, especially if you're doing your own taxes, you may not have known that it existed. So one of the ways to, again, check to see if you do qualify for the QBI, head on over to utterlyfinancial.com forward slash 12. And on there, we'll have a free download guide and a flowchart to see if you qualify for the QBI as a business owner. And action item number three, review any estate planning documents or contingency planning documents that you have that say what happens if you are no longer able to serve as the sole proprietor or the business owner. If you have a partnership, you should review your buy-sell agreement, make sure that it's properly funded, and then you have adequate liquidity to either buy your partner out or have your partner buy your family out in case something happens to either one of you. So it's a wonderful opportunity to try and review, again, what resources you have. Certain things in life are unpreventable. We cannot 
avoid certain things from happening, but we can mitigate and hopefully potentially eliminate the consequences of unforeseen events happening to any one of us. And so by making sure you have the adequate lines of either protection or investments or resources included with those estate planning documents or business documents like a business succession plan, business continuity instructions, you'll make sure that having the documents is one thing, but at the end of the day, you need to have the funding to make sure that your family or you get what you desire. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and we hope to catch you on the next episode of SLP Money. You've been listening to SLP Money, hosted by Craig Goldslager. Want even more ideas on how to make smart financial decisions? Head on over to the Learning Center at utterlyfinancial.com, where you'll find more information for SLPs and private practice owners. While there, you can also schedule a complimentary 30-minute consultation with Craig. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which will help more people discover SLP Money. Thanks so much for listening. Materials discussed is for general and informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investing advice. While the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations may vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual and professional advice. Craig Goldslager is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 2 South Biscayne Boulevard, Suite 1740, Miami, Florida, 33131, 305-371-6333. Securities, products, and financial services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Utterly Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian, Craig Goldsliger does not maintain specialized licenses or qualifications for the financial services provided to speech-language pathologists and private practice professionals. California Insurance License 0K78754 202 Expiration 07 2022